Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. All right. Oh, my. That is... You guys have to draw with chalk. This is really incredible. Peyton, I think that you should start doing Christmas presents for everybody. City of Ghosts. (laughs) Chapter 18. Those are incredible, Pay. You should... I know. Oh my gosh. It's like mirror image. Oh my gosh. It's so amazing. Chapter 18. Lara doesn't search for the veil, doesn't grab the air. She simply lifts one hand and slashes it sideways. A single decisive motion and the veil parts around her. Around us. I step forward, feeling like that familiar bloom of cold and and then we're through. We're still in the park at the base of the castle. A bleaker version of it. Um, sorry guys, bleaker version of it. The world is now gray and ghostly. I have expected for Jacob to stay behind, but he's here at my side. He lets out a shivery breath and folds his arms. Skull and bone, he murmurs, and I don't know if he's talking to me or himself. Laura brushes invisible dust from her sleeve, that warm light shining in her chest. Nearby, a man bundled in winter clothes calls out a name. His voice is high and thin, as if the wind is stealing away. It's beginning to snow, not everywhere, just right around him. When he turns and makes his shuffling way out of the park, the veil seems to recede with him like a tide, taking the winter with it. How, I start. The in-between isn't really one place, Laura explains. It's different for every ghost. A kind of time capsule. Ghosts overlap sometimes, bleed together, but in the end, each ghost is living their own in their own in-between, moving through their own loop. We follow the man out of the park and down the road. He trudges through the shallow snowdrifts of the door of the house of a house. He, sh- he shoulders the door open and steps in. Laura quickens her pace and we catch up before the door falls shut. Laura, Jacob, and I step out of the falling snow and into a home. Jacob puts himself in front of me like a shield, but the man doesn't run towards us. He stands at a fireplace, stroking the wood of a dying fire with a long iron and a long iron rod. And he's tall and gaunt with wild gray hair and deep set eyes. He could be scary, but he's not. He there's just this overwhelming sadness rippling off him like a stream. Have you seen him? asked the man in a low, husky voice. We take a step forward. Who? I asked gently. Lara is already lifting the pendant, but I catch her wrist and shake my head. Wait, I whisper. Why? She whispers back. It's not necessary to hear a story. Well, maybe it's not necessary, but it feels important. The man's sad eyes drift towards me and the camera around my neck. What do you have there, lass? I raise it to see. It takes photos. A shadow crosses the man's face and I start to think he doesn't know what a photo is. Maybe he lived before cameras existed. But then he draws a smile, weathered a piece of paper from his shirt, and turns it to see me. A boy stares out from a yellow square of an old photograph. My son Matthew, he explains, got this taken at the winter fair right before he went missing. Aww, 
my stomach lurches. A stolen winter. A child stolen in winter. The man's eyes go to the window. My wife, she went to the south to see her kin, but I couldn't leave my boy. I told his mother I'd wait. I'd wait as long as I had to. The man sinks into his chair by the dying fire and closes his eyes. I'll wait until he comes home. Wind whistles against the glass and the man breathes fog. The man's breath fogs air as I shiver the cold reaches me. I'll wait as long as I have to. I remember what Laura said about ghosts. That they only stay in the veil because they're stuck. My chest aches for this trapped man here in this world, in this house, in this endless day of waiting because I know he'll never stop looking out that window and I know his son's never going to come back. Cassidy, Laura says, appearing by my side. I realize that it's time. Do you have a mirror, she asks, offering her own. I nod down to the camera in my hands. I have this, I say, snapping off snapping off the cap, showing her the front of the lens, the way it shines when I tilt it, reflecting a piece of the room. Will it work? She looks skeptical. I suppose we'll have to find out. I look at Jacob, who's hanging back by the door, his face unreadable. You're not like him, I think. You don't belong here. You belong with me. Jacob bites his lip, but he nods, and I turn my attention back to the old man in the chair. Frost is lacing his beard, and his skin is growing white with cold. If you see my boy, he murmurs, his breath a cloud. I'll send him home, I promise, lifting my camera. Can I take your picture to show him? He drags his eyes open, meets his reflection in the lens, and goes still. It's like someone swapped him for a statue instead of a person. He freezes, all the pain and sadness gone from his face. I hear Jacob stuck in a breath, but I keep my focus. Do you remember the words? asks Laura. I think I do. I say, watch and listen. Frost crawls over the window panes. See and know. Icicles trail down the man's face. This is what you are, I whisper. The man's edge softens, the whole shape rippling. Then I take a deep breath and gather my nerve and reach his reach into his chest and pull out a fragile thread, brittle and gray. Holding the man's life, his death, in my hand, I understand what Laura meant when she talked about purpose. I understand what drew me again and again into the veil, what I was looking for without looking, what I needed. It was this. The ribbon crumbles in my palm, and so does the man, to ash and then to nothing. Jacob and Laura and I stand together, silent in the new room. Jacob's the first to move. He comes forward and crouches at the front door, at the foot of the chair, running his fingers through the last of the dust. Then, in the room and around us, it begins to, to thin. Begins to thin, like a photo worn by time and details wiped away. Of course the ghost is gone now. It makes sense that his veil is fading, too. I feel Laura's hand on my shoulder. We should go. Once we're safely on the living side of things again, the three of us walk back to Lane's end. Jacob and Laura are a few steps ahead, and Jacob peppering her with questions. They seem to be warming up to each other, or at least reaching a sort of a truce. I hang back. My hand is still prickling strangely from where I held the ribbon into the man's life, the ribbon of the man's life, his death. It was sad sending him on, but there was kind of a relief too, like letting out a breath that you've been holding for too long, setting it free. And afterward, the tap, tap, tap was gone. Not just softer, but vanished, leaving a stretch of quiet peace behind. It felt right. I quickened my pace to catch up with Jacob and Laura. What's the scariest ghost if you've ever faced? Jacob asked. 
Laura taps her fingers on her lips. I uh, couldn't say. It's probably between William Burke, the corpse robber turned serial killer, stammers Jacob. That's the one, said Laura. It's It's been him. It's between him and a little girl in petticoat that I found in the plague vaults. Jacob snorts, a tie between a mass murderer and a little girl in a dress. Laura shrugs. Children give me the creeps. Children? That reminds me. Hey, Laura, I say, quickening my step. Have you ever seen a woman in a red cloak? The humor bleeds from Laura's face, her mouth drawn tight. Are you talking about the raven in red? I nod. Have you ever seen her? Once, she said tightly. Last winter, I was visiting for the holidays, hunting in the in-between when I heard her singing. And the next thing I knew, I was walking straight towards her, her outstretched hand. Laura shakes her head. It was a near thing. But but you got away? I got lucky. Aunt Alice was nearby and heard. I heard her calling and it broke the spell. I had just enough sense to twist free and leave the in-between. And I've been very, very careful ever since. Laura's dark eyes narrow. Why have you seen her, Cassidy? I nod, and Laura's hands shoot out, stopping me in my tracks. You have to stay away from her, do you understand? There's an urgency in her voice, and it's wrong it's it's wrong on her, out of place. Remember what I said about our lives? Her hand goes to her chest, to the place where the light is shown through the veil. About all the ghosts who want them, the raven is one of those. She feeds on the threads of children that she steals. But those threads are small and thin, and she has to eat a lot of them just to stay what she is. But if she got a hold of a life like yours or mine, something bright, it would be disastrous. I shudder at the thought. Laura looks to Jacob. Do your job, ghost. Keep her safe. Jacob snorts. Easier said than done. We climb back to the hill and lead that leads back to Lane's end. It doesn't make sense, Laura says to her says to herself. It doesn't even it isn't even the right time of year. I know. It's been bothering me too. What was it that Finley said? She comes with a cold. I think of the river and I think of the river, my fall into the icy stream, the way the cold reaches me reaches for me What's every time. Because she only comes out in the winter when it's cold. But she's traveling in the summer on her summer vacation. Yeah, so it doesn't make any sense why she's there. The way the cold reaches for me every time I cross the veil, the bluish edge to the light in my chest. Maybe it has something to do with the way I... It's hard to say out loud, even though now with someone like Laura, I can I change course. What does the veil feel like when you step through it? I asked her. Laura thinks. Like a fog a fever. I was ill once, really ill. It was a touch, it was touch and go for a bit, she adds briskly, and I couldn't stay awake. It feels like that, dreamy, but not in a good way. I nod. For me, it feels like falling into a frozen river. It feels like bitter cold. If the raven is drawn to cold, then maybe she's drawn to me. Maybe, said Laura. Well, then it's even more reason for you to stay away from her. If you see her, cover your ears, get out of the veil, and for goodness sakes, she says, nodding to the camera get yourself a proper mirror we're nearly back to the lane's end when i recognize the man ambling towards us his crown of red hair scratching the sun i slam into the sight i slam to a stop at the sight "Uh oh said jacob jacob what have we here says finley he looks at laura miss chowdhury i never took you for a rule breaker laura straightens i haven't broken any rules she says once again, the picture of primness. The wind has blown my brown curls all over the place. How are her? How is it that her black braid is still so perfectly in order? 
Where are you, what are you doing here? I squeaked at, what are you doing here? I squeaked at Finley. Funny thing that, he said, your parents sent me to check on you. Only you weren't there. I glanced at Laura. Ooh, I might have promised my parents that I would stay inside, I tell her. I swivel back to Finley. Well, we were just getting some fresh air. Is that so, he said, a glimmer in his eye. I know that spark. I've seen it on mom's face a hundred times. I'm not in trouble, am I? Ouch, he said um, amiably. Uh, amiably. I don't know what that word is. Um, yeah, amiably. A little wandering never hurt anyone. Which I'm pretty sure wasn't true, especially when it comes to young children and foreign cities and children snatch- and child-snatching ghosts. But I appreciate the sentiment. Tell you what, he holds up a meaty finger. I won't tell your folks on one condition. What's that? Well, he says, your mom and dad sent me to see if you were feeling brave enough to join them at the castle. I wasn't scared, I snap. No shame in being scared, he encounters. He counters, but there's a difference between being scared and being scared away. Come with, and I'll look at... I'll look like a right champion for changing your mind. You're welcome to come too, Miss Chowdhury. I glance at Laura, who shrugs. Ah, I'll pass, she says. The castle is a fascinating sight, she adds, with a weighted, a weighted look. It flicks from me, and it flicks from me to Jacob. Just remember what I told you. Or Jacob says we could just go back up to the nice warm place with comic books and tea cakes. Look now, said Finley, seeing me hesitate. You can't come to Edinburgh and not see the castle. Well, we can. Yeah. Well, we can see it from here, said Jacob, pointing at the building on the cliff. Aren't you just a wee bit curious? Asked Finley. Of course I'm curious. I've never seen the inside of a castle. Plus, my head's full of Laura's talk about the purpose, and my hands are still warm from sending the man to the into the house. Oh, sending on the man in the house. Well, Finley prompts. What do you say? I look at Jacob. I want to see the castle, but I don't want to go without him. And not just because I might get stuck in the veil. It was weird not being able, not him not being there this morning. I feel like someone had cut my shadow away. But Jacob's not just my shadow. He's my partner in crime. The sidekick to my hero. Or hero to my sidekick. I amend when he looks like, he looks at me aghast. And he should have, he should have a say. It's up to you. What do you think? If you don't want to go, we don't have to go. That's what she's thinking so that he can give an answer. And maybe he w- just wanted to be given a choice because he rolls his eyes and in a flash and he flashes me a grin. Well, he says, I've read all the comic books and I can't eat it. I can't eat the cakes. I, f- I smile and turn to Finley. All right, let's go to the castle. Spooky.